Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision once again to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we take you to those places where you've had those inspirational mastermind conversations, you've overheard those morsels of wisdom that have brought you to the aha moments and the inspirations that give you that edge that moves you closer to your ability to serve from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and be, make a difference for your community, market, and audience. What happens when you're in these places? You may hear things in the background, little ambient noise, a bird chirping, a car going by. As I sit out here, on my balcony in beautiful, sumptuous Las Vegas, I'm enjoying a very nice spring day. There are birds in this little evergreen tree that sits in front of my balcony here. It's fantastic. And I encourage you to find yourself in that place where you are ready to make discoveries for yourself. So today we are going to cover virtual event promotion and marketing. And we're going to be speaking with somebody who have helped clients 2x, 5x, and even 7x their in-person attendance. This is going to be an interesting conversation. And I know it's of a certain interest to a lot of our listeners. Even though live events have pretty much returned, things are never really going to be the same. I myself, I'm going to tell you from my own personal experiences, have discovered that just because I have the opportunity to attend a seminar and travel to it doesn't mean I'm going to. I was always selective even before the bug came along. But I also recognize that there are cases where it may be better off for me to not travel. And a lot of other folks have discovered the same thing. I've attended three-day seminars where I saw no particular reason to travel to the venue. Because think about it. All I was giving up was three afternoons. If you travel to a venue, you're essentially giving up five or six days to be there for those two or three days. And it's costing you much more than the price of your admission ticket when you count travel, opportunity costs, and the additional expenses that come from you not being at home. Just think about that. So this is the very micro view of it. And now we want to look at it from the production and success side of it. We are speaking today with Daniel Moss and we are speaking with Daniel Moss and Michelle Garrison. And they have an organization called We and Goliath, which redefines virtual experiences. They have a full service formula that combines smart strategy, platform savvy, and innovative video that captivates, awes, and inspires. Whether you want just live stream production or full-service virtual event management, including event planning, technology, and marketing strategy, they can work with you to help you tackle your Goliath. There's so much more that we can say about Daniel and Michelle, but I'd actually rather them say it. So Daniel Moss and Michelle Garrison, I'm about done here rambling. Come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> hey, Adam. Thanks for having us on. Great well, to be here. Well, since candidly, we're mostly interested in your formula and your experience, I just needed to get my storytelling all the way. Speaking of sport storytelling, I read off a piece of your bio, but what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio is actually hear from you as our guests and tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. That's a great question. I mean, I, I think to start, 
What you started with, which is the ease of being at home, is part of the reason why we started in virtual events to begin with. It, it really had nothing to do with the pandemic, although the pandemic obviously helped a lot of people understand that these are, are beneficial to do. Silver linings. <laughs> yes, exactly. But myself, like I'm an introvert. So I was yes. going to a lot of conferences previously and I would leave feeling drained. I would have met a lot of people, but had str I struggled keeping in touch with those people afterwards. And so we just saw virtual events as being that opportunity to A, find the people that you, you need to meet quicker because of the analytical data that's available, right? When you log into a conference platform, for example, you can look up topics of interest and find people based on those topics of interest, making yep. it much easier. And, and then after the event, it's easier to keep in touch with people because you would have easily exchanged contact information. The analytical data that we have from that event allows us to keep in touch easier. And having follow-up events after the main conference means that we can engage community more often and drive people to action easier. Yeah, okay. I'll jump in and say, like, just stepping back for me, why, why I got into events was I, I had started with web design and digital marketing all the way back in 99. Uh, then I was marketing director for a nonprofit where we were an events-based uh, organization. So we did workshops, conferences, uh, tours, and webinars. So I got into webinar promotion as a core part of being a marketing strategist. Um, and then Michelle and I kind of merged agencies to create We and Goliath. So we have this broad uh, digital marketing background in addition to events that a lot of agencies don't have. And so we've been really passionate about the potential of virtual events because probably the main benefit there is the potential uh, national and global reach, right? And so it just played into our passion for digital marketing. And we're like, let's see how we can really maximize the benefits of this together. Yeah, we love marketing strategy. We've both been doing design for over 20 years now. And I mean, I, I spent my free time in college just flipping through design books. And you know, it's just like, <laughs> it's been a pastime for a long time and in our careers for a long time. So it's neat to be able to apply those skills to the virtual event space. And now the hybrid event space, now that we're coming back in person and people are getting a little bit more comfortable with that. Well, speaking of comfort levels, you know, you mentioned Michelle being more of the introverted type, and I'm so introverted, they had to make a new category on the left-hand side of that spectrum for me. <laughs> that's, that's probably one of the very few places that I proudly will declare myself to be left of anything. But anyway, uh, that, being, <laughs> that being aside, uh, you're, one of the things that I love about this mo these hybrid models that we see in particular uh, there may be conferences that happen here in Las Vegas that happen during the week. And what's really cool is I can attend parts of it in person and parts of it virtually. And not only do I not have to give up extra days of my life for travel, for opportunity costs, for the ramp down and ramp into being away from home, I also don't even necessarily have to give up my entire day plan. That's exactly right. I found myself at, at conferences like that that were live streamed. And I would go, this was back before we were doing this. I remember going to the hotel room that we were staying at to just watch, just to take a little break from uh -huh. being around people. And then when it would end, I would bolt to the lobby so that I could network with everyone afterwards. I see what you did there. You, <laughs> went, you went to your room to get your social recharge in to survive the networking. That was it. Yes. Uh-huh. I, I, I know. I know. So in your work with virtual events, um, what are some of the common mistakes you see? I, I understand that uh, we have a lot to cover in a short period of time, so I do want to get into some of the, um, the uh, machinery here right now. Uh, there, people got to be messing this up somehow. How are they doing it? Well, there's a lot of ways that people are messing up, unfortunately, and it's given virtual events a bad name, I think. And, and I think that at the start of the pandemic, people were sort of um, 
you know, kicking their heels. They didn't want to go online. They were complaining about it. And, and rightfully so, because there have been a lot of really not, not engaging virtual events where we take that speaker on the stage format and we put it online. And all of a sudden it becomes even worse because you're sitting behind the computer watching somebody talk without being able to interact in any way, which makes it really easy to just walk away. So that's one thing is just not having enough interactivity and opportunities for engagement during the event and also not allowing for enough space in between those, you know, speaker on the stage moments and then give breaks in between so that people can meet each other. They can interact. They could play games, have icebreakers. There's, there's a lot of fun that can be had online as well. And then there's a lot of really basic mistakes like internet issues, of course, that people don't take the time to prevent audio video issues, uh, bad angles, bad lighting, background noise, all those basic things. Um, People reading off scripts and sounding boring. Or I would also add just not taking enough time to to promote your event. So if you're going to go online and you're not going to take the um, benefit from the increased reach potential, you're really missing out there as well. And something else that's really boring to watch is somebody reading off of a script, (coughs) especially if they're looking down while they're talking to the audience. And we've seen quite a bit of that, unfortunately. Yeah, that's why that's why the Business Creators Radio Show will always be an audio podcast going back to the original intention of podcasting. I do not want to sit here and hold my media pose for an hour with you. It's just not happening. Yeah, and, that's so- and I want and I want to encourage you to drink whatever you want. Yes, exactly. And like we we like not being on camera too because we can point yes. at each other. If if Daniel wants to take a question or he can raise his hand behind the behind the screen, and I know he's going to talk next. I love I love it I love it. Now, uh, you know my observations as far as virtual events. One of my clients. Uh, used to do an in-person conference in Boston every year. And these were actually very successful. When the bug hit, they decided to go right ahead and keep doing them on a virtual basis. Now, it took some trial and error to make it the same level of success. And to their credit, they experimented with a couple smaller virtual events that they could practice on before they did the full virtual version of their big conference. And their biggest discovery was that while their in-person conference was was a one-day, 10-hour experience, when they did it virtually, if they broke it into three three three-hour sessions and they did it over a course of three weeks, that turned out to be the magic. So, for example, Tuesday morning of one week, then the Tuesday morning of the next week, and the Tuesday morning of the week thereafter. And the feedback they got on that is that not only did it enable people to easily be able to engage with it, but just the fact that it was broken into three three-hour batches over three weeks means that attendees could play full tilt for that entire 10-hour stretch over the three weeks because they didn't actually have to change anything about their lives. As we all know, it's really no big deal to clear a couple hours one day. Yes. Yeah. No, that is a really great point. And people, like I said earlier, don't like to sit behind a screen for that long. So, so accounting for that is important. And, and every audience is different. Some people tend to be used to uh, be more engaged on a Zoom conference, for example. And if so, maybe you can go a little longer if people are on camera talking to each other. But if you're just listening, it's especially important to keep it short. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And what I also like is that myself, I actually find it easier to engage with people. Uh, And maybe that's the introversion coming out is that I can use the chat room to, and I made a lot of great connections on webinar type things, virtual type things that way. Whereas when I go to the physical event, I can sometimes be so drained that I'll snap at people and I, and I offer no apologies. <laughs> but, what I, but what I do like 
is, and, th- and, this, and this was happening in an event I was at a few weeks ago, actually one I was speaking at. And I, you know, I had these people coming up to me constantly. And some of them may be listening right now. So I say this with, with love. And I actually say this to make a point. And I was to that point where I was so drained. I was, I was, I was just going off on people, basically just snapping at them. And then I'm supposed to be all happy thinking, oh, I'm a speaker here at this conference. I'm a star. And, and these people are like, oh, and they're nagging me. It's like, I'm thinking, fuck you, go away. But <laughs> <laughs> But, 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 but let me tell you why I bring this up. <laughs> I saw for the very first time how many people noticed that I was a little cranky and said, oh, um, would you consider yourself more an introvert or an extrovert? It's like, oh, ah, you funny. got it. You got it. Here you go. <laughs> and uh, now they're speaking my language and now I can speak their language. And what's really awesome about it is how many of those folks who made that observation understood because they know how it feels being either introverted or ambiverted with uh, a tendency themselves. Yeah. You're, you're really maximizing your reserves at yeah. that point. And, and speaking of which, I think with, with any organization or company that is putting on an event or, or if you're a solopreneur out there putting on an event, it's the same thing. You're, when you're doing a virtual event, you're really maximizing your efficiency in the sense that you won't, you don't end up spending as much energy and as much budget because there's so much that we're leaving out of the equation with travel mm-hmm. and catering and, and events. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's exhausting. And finding the right AV team to be in person, there's, there's a lot to, to think about. Here's another thing that uh, came up. And this, and this is turning into sort of a mastermind uh, comparing of notes conversation. But first, an observation. Uh, you heard me say a bad word a minute ago. I want to share something with our listeners because I believe in teaching moments. As a podcast host and you as podcast guests, we are the voices of our audiences. So there are things that people sometimes feel, sometimes experience that they would like to express. And in fact, if they could express it, it might bring them closer to a major breakthrough that can explode their opportunities, grow their revenues, profits, make their lives so much better. But we, in leadership positions, being on podcasts, have the opportunity to be the voice and say the things that people wish they could say themselves so that they can reach that level of understanding that will help them transcend it. So when I bring up how I get cranky sometimes when I'm around people and they just won't leave me the hell alone, uh, that I say that because I know a number of other people feel that same way. And when we come together on it, we can say, oh, that's, that's just how humans gain and expend social energy through interactions. And we actually end up building bridges by that mutual understanding. I just want to make that point. And one thing that you mentioned logistics, I attended a three-day virtual seminar. I think it was like the fall of 2020. And uh, by day two, the guy running it noticed that he needed to shorten the lunch breaks because he had allocated hour and 30 minute lunch breaks like he was used to seeing when he went to live events people at home don't need an hour and 30 minutes for lunch yeah yeah and they can network together during lunch too you can provide that opportunity grab a sandwich come right back let's talk (laughs) yeah right i I, I agree i and also uh, to your point of using quote-unquote bad language i think from a (laughs) From a marketing perspective, it also provides an interesting non sequitur in the yes. middle of the conversation that triggers your interest and keeps it going. Oh yeah, oh yes, pattern interrupts. That'll get people setting up all right. And uh, yeah. and 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 all of us having been in, and I've been involved involved in event planning myself, so I understand. I understand how it feels, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've probably invented a few words along the way as I, as I like to say about not only technical, not only like websites, but also events, you can use as much duct tape as you need to make it work. As long as the clients, the client facing side looks good. That's right. That's (laughs) exactly right. Yeah. There's a lot of tools that we can weave together. that Uh I'm never going to know about. Right. So, uh, so other than, what we've already covered, what are some of the other benefits of 
going virtual over producing an in-person events because I mean, they, I mean, there's an argument that can be made for both. Yeah, for sure. So we, we talked about the global reach. We talked about lower costs. Um, other benefits are, of course, they're more environmentally sustainable. You've got much lower carbon footprint to not have a bunch of flights and other car travel, et cetera. You've got um, by going, by going global, uh, and online, you have much better accessibility. So we've done events in four or five and even six languages of live content with uh, dual interpretation, you know, two-way live interpretation. Um, AI captions can provide up to 20 languages in real time or after an event. So you can really reach a global audience for, for much less. I mean, one of our clients was... Uh, a think tank who was working with two UN agencies and they used to fly interpreters uh, over like overseas sometimes for their conferences because they had certain UN like requirements and they saved so much money on interpretation by doing that virtually. And uh, we've also done full translation of websites, graphics, uh, ASL, right? The like picture in picture for sign language. So accessibility is a big thing that we have um, looked into and, and tried to support um, and then, you know, we were talking about the, the introverts, right? So on one level, people see virtual events as sort of cold or distant, but if you do them right, they can actually be more intimate because they're more informal and because you can break people up so easily into, the, into custom themed breakout rooms or one-on-one yep. -on -one meetups. Uh, and people just sort of like being uh, seeing speakers in their home environment, it's, it's more informal. They like being at home themselves, being more comfortable. You're maybe more willing to be a little more vulnerable because uh, you're more comfortable. So that's a big benefit. And the last one that's coming to me is the ability to multiply your content afterwards. So because everything's automatically recorded in a good virtual event, um, you've got all these digital assets to promote it that are going into the production, you can so easily slice and dice that content for your social, your email, reposting video clips. Um, on, and, and then sometimes like one of our clients is a big software company. Um, they, they do a best of stage at some of their conferences where they'll just reuse whole sessions um, because yeah. they're still relevant. They're still exciting. So it's complicated, but there's a lot of benefits. And, and, and sometimes with the good team, it can be even less stressful, um, more fun, more intimate. So some surprising benefits, I think. Yeah. And to Daniel's point, I like to think of it as taking a lead nurturing campaign, like, like an email campaign with multiple touch points. Maybe you're publishing to your blog and social. And, and it's like up leveling that into perhaps a series of events that happens over the course of a year. And then that content repurposed out with the, on the same channels to social and through email. So, so we're essentially providing a more engaging experience for people. And you can even lock some of that content and use some of it as a course, you know, branch off into a course and some of its teaser content to just get them to purchase that course. So there's a lot that we can do with this. Certainly. Uh, you're getting into organic content, organic content multipurposing, which is actually one of the features of my podcast reach system. You record a podcast and what else can you do with it? Like this conversation we're having right now, there are so many different things I can do with just this conversation. Exactly. And what's great about virtual events is you mentioned seeing people in their home environments, seeing them a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, you know, we mentioned a little bit earlier the thing about how we are the voices of our audiences. There are all that comes together under the header of meta marketing. And what's beautiful about the medium is that not only do you not have to be perfect, but sometimes it's the very imperfections that are the most attractive. Uh, think of it this way. You remember back when there were DVDs and Blu-rays? All that stuff is still around, of course. I'll tell you that when they take some of my favorite movies and favorite TV shows and such, and they put them on platforms like Amazon Prime, um, I'm not a big fan of Netflix, but it's another example. You also have Hulu and there are several others. They, tra they transpose the movies and the TV shows but they don't always transpose the deleted scenes in the blooper reels. 
That saddens me. <laughs> People love the deleted scenes and the blooper reels. Mm -hmm. And what's beautiful about the work that we do, and particularly what uh, happens with virtual events, is you're going to see some of these bloopers. And people are not only understanding, generally speaking, but they will find it entertaining in a good way. Like, they can relate to it. I agree. We're, we're bringing it back to a more human nature. And, and I also like to think of it as, well, you know, when we're going to events in person, we oftentimes dress up and we present ourselves pretty decent. At least most people do. Right. But when we're at home or in an office that we're used to, we're a little more casual with it. We don't have to put on as much of a, a mask, so to speak. So that, that level of intimacy increases just from the comfort of our space. Wow, I never thought of it that way. I was about to make a comment about that meant we could take our masks off because that whole thing is gone. Hey, remember a couple of years ago where if you walked into a bank wearing a mask, you'd go to jail. But, uh, if you, <laughs> but then if you walked into a bank without a mask, you'd go to jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've thought that too sometimes, you know, with my, my glasses and my mask. I'm like, oh, wow, how are they, how do they identify me? Yes. <laughs> so, um, in your, with, with all these various things we've covered, what would you guys say are the, 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 the main, main things that you have been able to accomplish to make the virtual thing more exciting, more engaging, more interactive. Uh, for somebody who's looking to just find a way, if they want to do a virtual event right away, what are some of the things that they should keep in mind just to get started so they have the best chance of success? I think that one thing is we allow our clients to take a little bit more risks with their event because they have a tech team behind them who can navigate the tools easily for them and make sure that things are going to go smoothly on the front end, even if there's a lot going on on the back end. So they feel more confident to just take risks in, in maybe doing more social events where people are doing like table-based networking or games, or maybe there's something that you've done in person with a group that you want to try to bring online, <laughs> then we can help you do that type of stuff where we'll, we will innovate with you to make it happen. Mm -hmm. I would also say really pushing the, the visual side is, <laughs> is probably what makes us most unique as an agency, being a design first company, having multiple designers, animator, illustrator on the team. Uh, our clients really love that we're not just putting together sessions that look like a regular Zoom call, but it's more like TV style production. And Ooh, that really- okay grabs people's attention as a viewer. If you're looking at something where there's custom graphics, logos, animated lower thirds with names and titles, maybe uh, animation, animated slides and logos, um, it's so much more entertaining So and, and just impressive, right? So that's a, a big step up that you can take, especially for your presentation style content. It's a little harder to do all those things in the highly interactive sessions where you're also doing breakout rooms, let's say. So we usually split it up into presentation style content. Let's maximize the look and feel. For interactive content, just like that. Let's focus on how much we can make it engaging and interactive through breakout rooms, through icebreakers, through applause or reaction cards. Um, really using the chat. That's another fun thing that we coach speakers how to use chat effectively. That's kind of the easiest um, no cost approach to, to make an event more interactive is ask a lot of micro questions. Um, yes. Ask for polls uh, via chat, for single word answers, for all sorts of feedback to keep you inspired to know. So, you know, your listeners are excited. Uh, they get to see each other's praise and all sorts of things. So all sorts of ways that we can make things more interactive in a single session and different types of sessions Yes, yeah, so you might have a keynote that's highly polished and and then you have your workshops where people get to communicate with each other mm -hmm. and with the speaker. Yeah, I'm hearing I'm hearing Bob Pike's 9028 role here. I you're familiar with what that is. Mm -mm. Okay. Um 
this is some, it's been around for a long time. It was developed by Bob Pike, uh, who I had the chance to meet once, maybe 20 years ago. And uh, it's called the 90-28 rule of instructional, instructional design. So mm-hmm. basically what it comes down to is we can teach content for 90 minutes without a break. However, the content needs to be chunked into 20-minute sections, and we need interaction every eight minutes. Now, mm-hmm. it's not always possible to get that exactly right, but here's where I think it's really valuable. Uh, if you are at a live seminar, and you remember back in the days when there were all these live seminars that were pitch fest after pitch fest after pitch fest, and they would jam in as many speakers as they could to raise as much revenue as they could. And you've been in that room for four hours without a break as an attendee because they, there's just complete lack of management and everybody's running over time. So the presentations are all backed up. You're a half hour off schedule. And mm-hmm. because you've been having to sit in that room for four hours watching this stuff, you're just, I mean, you're like the pre-Zoom version of Zoomed out. Exactly. Because it's been more than 90 minutes since your break. Um, and then content needs to be chunked into 20-minute sections. The idea being is if you keep listening to the same thing, like with my like when I do webinars um, and training presentations for my for the mastermind group that I have, I my chunks are actually in many cases shorter than 20 minutes. But I know if I need to go deep into a certain topic to find a way to either keep it to the 20 minute mark. And if I can't break it into two sections. And That's as far as, and as far as the interaction every eight minutes, what I see some event planners do, uh, particularly we move into this virtual space where people can easily get distracted even while they're staring at the screen is sometimes it's as simple as and uh, one of my clients does this very effectively is about every eight to ten minutes he'll find a reason to get his audience to interact by saying type seven if you blank Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah make it as easy as possible for them to chat give me a plus sign if you're if you agree with me uh type yes if you are feeling what i'm saying right now and I, yeah, and, and make it interesting, like type a plus sign or type a number. What I do with some of my presentations is I will work in places and I, and I, and I script my presentations where I'll put a seven here and then I'll work down as I get closer to the denouement. So they'll notice, oh, we're now we're at six and now we're at five. So I'm actually building a countdown mm-hmm. into my That's interaction. Cool. Neat. I think the key here is people want to be invited into the experience. Experience, either to chat, uh, to come on camera, to contribute ideas, especially uh, if you have an expert audience, right, um, of, of any degree, they have, it feels so much better to be able to contribute. Um, even if, even though most people are coming to events primarily to learn, secondarily to network, they also it just feels better to contribute. It's honoring, uh, and and it it plays to adult learning style, where when you teach something, you learn it. So if you give your attendees the opportunity to pair up in one-on-one or small group breakouts and share a key takeaway, or just do that in the chat, uh, they'll remember those takeaways better. Uh, if you do breakouts and you let people discuss their challenges or the solutions they've seen to certain problems you're, you're discussing, uh, they're going to feel so much more connected. They're going to have a better time. It breaks things up really well. So don't forget the interactivity uh, by um, letting people contribute. Uh, that's certainly a, a key part of the engagement in addition to the visuals and just getting your speakers um, leveling up their presentation skills. Yeah, and yeah. there can be overarching interactivity throughout the event too, or maybe there's a group note stock or whiteboard that everyone's contributing to Ooh, as they're wow, I like that. Yeah, so so that that would be a great way. We do that a lot. And we also have done ask offer things where if somebody has something to offer or if somebody has something a need then they can actually fill out a particular column in a, in a doc with different categories so that other people at the event can see. And if they have something to contribute in that particular category, then they know who to connect with. That's fantastic. So, and yeah, because the one client, the one that I mentioned that uh, took the one day in-person event and broke it into, a, into three chunks of a virtual event, 
one of their big discoveries for their monthly webinars is they go beyond just doing webinars. They they now are some of the some of their webinars take the form of what they call practicums, where attendees actually participate in analyzing a case study, and they found that to be really popular. They've worked in a networking session once a month that happens on on the same pattern like the you know, like the third Tuesday of the month at noon or whatever it is that they do and uh, the idea behind that is this is one where we actually just get to network and what's great about it is when it the first few months that they did it they were having a hard time getting more than three people to show up and it was the same three people but they just stuck with it and mm-hmm. they kept promoting it and now they have this nice group of like 25 or 30 people who not only you can count on to be there for like eight out of the 10 sessions, but if they don't announce the next one soon enough after they've held one, people start asking, well, when's the next one? So this client has actually had to build a process with their virtual team that they have the next one ready for registration to be swapped in literally at the moment that this month begins. So if this one month begins the third Thursday, third Tuesday at noon, somebody has to be online at that very moment to switch registration so that people can start signing up for the next one. That's how rapid this has become. That that quick follow-up is huge. And I think that people tend to get exhausted after an event and then they kind of let that fall to the wayside. And that's really, I mean, you, especially with virtual, because you're walking away with so much data on all these people uh-huh. that have attended and what they really like. So you could segment that list as well and, and write to people it, like in those groups if you have a large enough event. But if you have a smaller event like that, then one email out to everybody right after the event is going to go a long way. Um, and in addition to that, what you said about forming that nucleus of people in the very beginning and that consistency, that really is the basis of a lot of community that's built anywhere, but also online. And those power users in the very beginning, they, they go such a long way for your, your brand, your company in, in helping other people to also feel comfortable in that event, especially yeah. if there's engagement, because those people that have been there for a long time, they're going to be the ones that speak up first. They're going to keep the energy going. They're going to know the protocols so that they're maybe on camera all the time. They're excited to be there. They're showing that enthusiasm. So everybody else like feels the energy in the virtual room and they, they follow suit. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, Daniel. I'm sorry. I thought I heard you begin speaking. Go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, I just wanted to underscore a point that, that you made a minute ago as well, that one way to really add more value is to switch from just a pure webinar format into more of a workshop, or I think you called it practicum workshop format. Uh, in this information age, you can learn anything online. On YouTube, you can Google anything, right? So information used to be super important uh, and it's becoming to some degree less valuable. But what be, what's now the most valuable is walking somebody through the implementation of that. So workshops, you can charge for more than webinars. You can get more um, time to, you just get, get to deliver more value to your audience. So definitely consider bringing those into your event timeline, your structure, uh, for all sorts of types of businesses. Yeah, to Daniel's point, for those of you creating courses out there, I don't know the exact statistics, but I've heard them before. And it's an exorbitant amount of the people that buy those courses that don't actually complete them. So if Yeah, are- that's true. Um, how, about, how, about, how about course creators? Um, uh, when I created the uh, Podcast Reach video training series, the first time I tried to do it, I actually gave up halfway through. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and 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 part and yo yo, my big lesson was, and I'll keep I'll keep this to the point. Is the first time I did, I broke it up into like I had a plan to make 120 video modules. They were all fairly short, mm-hmm. and I just and I was trying to be perfect with sound and and displays on the screen and everything else. I just wore myself out. But I needed these videos in place because 
they were the foundational curriculum for my VIP clients who participate in our podcast Reach Elite programs. These people did not care if it was perfect. They just cared that they had it. So I took the podcast Reach system and I combined those 120 PowerPoints into 11 and just 11 PowerPoints. I sat right out here in my balcony where I'm at right now with the same $30 Logitech headset on the same laptop and just sat out here and recorded them. And I even worked into the introductory uh, module the reason why I was doing that that way. And you know, you know, the, you know what the best part is um, the only feedback I ever got on that was at least you finally got it done. <laughs> nobody has nobody has nobody who matters. I mean, I got one person, but nobody who matters, and I mean that with love, uh, has ever said, "Well." if you're supposed to be some kind of big podcasting guru and you're doing it sitting out on your balcony and your laptop, uh, shouldn't you have a studio to set an example? Actually, I am setting an example that uh, the beauty of the type of marketing we're doing now, the type of communications mm-hmm. we're doing now, it's the realness of it. Yeah. That is part of the attraction factor. When There's my one cli- podcast I listen to where the guy is actually sounds like he's taking a hike every time he's on his thing. He's like, I've, he's got street noise back. He's out of breath, I've, but the I've content's done, so good. I was yeah, to I've, listen. I've, I've done, I've done this thing from uh, the cigar shop where I hung out. I, I did this thing once sitting in a back alley, believe it or not. Uh, it's uh, it, it, I, me- <laughs> I melded with my laptop lifestyle. I, uh, and, and these, these, see these things are in again, blooper reels, deleted scenes, uh, getting to see the reality of how we live, uh, to me, just feels more cool. Uh, I remember when the bug first came and a client of mine uh, was hosting a one-day event in San Diego. He tried to say, well, we're going to do it in person anyway, because uh, he was going to appeal to people that weren't going to be held back in fear. And then the mandates came, and it was no longer his decision. So he said, well, we're still doing this event. We're going to do it one day on Zoom. And uh, he ended up get he ended up having his uh, registrations uh, go up from the 35 he was counting on, and he was pretty close to for the in-person event, to over 100. Nice. And, uh, and, and uh, we tested something. And I have a question about this. This is going to be this actually our listener question here in just a second. Um, the people who attended that event, it was a one-day thing, and they were, and some of them were curious about, can we get a replay of it? So, you know, I thought, you know, we were going to, uh, after we recorded it, we were going to go into post-production, we are going to break into nice little th- chunks, we were going to add intro and outro bumpers, and all that advanced stuff, and we are going to take out any bloopers or mistakes or whatever, but I tried an experiment. Uh, that event ended at 5 o'clock that day, it took Zoom about an hour to render the video. I just took the whole eight-hour video and just put it up in the members area. <coughs> People were over the moon that they got the replay in an hour. Mm. Nice, yes. And that's, all, and that's all they cared about. Yes. We never even went back and post-produced it. Mm-hmm. Nobody cared. Uh, we were getting requests for that replay for a year afterward from people who had attended and even months later came back and said, Hey, can I have my password again? I want to go watch it again. That's great. That, yeah, we that, often, that's how, that's how great it was. Yeah. We often see that sometimes, I mean, it really depends on the type of event and everything, but uh, sometimes replay views are more than live views. Sometimes yep. it's, it's about the same. Sometimes it's way more or way less, but they're so important. Some of our clients have been shocked by the amount of replay views that they get. And that makes them less attached to uh, particular event formats as well, because they know that a lot of people are going to watch on the replay. In terms yep. of the replay speed, one trick that we do is we often stream through the YouTube live player. So you can... Whether you're doing like premium production that we do with all the graphics and everything, or if you're just doing a Zoom call, you can send your Zoom directly to YouTube Live. So you get an instant replay. You don't even have to wait that hour for YouTube. It's a built-in function of Zoom to connect to your YouTube Live. Yep. And uh, people can, if they join late, they can just rewind and watch the beginning of the event. That's (laughs) Uh, beautiful. So here's, yeah, so here's our listener question. Um, And I know you guys have 10 minutes left here. So Here's my, here's, my, here's my listener question. 
when we attend live in-person sessions, I mentioned the quote-unquote pitch fest, the idea behind speakers being able to make offers, whether it's your guest presenters who are pitching and you're doing revenue splits, or it's your own event, and you want people to take up by joining your mastermind or, or paying for your big ticket retreat or something like that. And you want to build in the part where they can run to the back of the room and all the other stuff associated with that. Some people I know who were transitioning the lot in the virtual events found that they had challenges making that work because it was there was no back of the room to run to. And then keeping them to stick around for questions and things like that. All the stuff that's built into the in-room, you know, in-the-room pitch. So when it comes to creating the effect of getting the rush on the back of the room, let's just use the terminology, how do we translate that to the virtual world? This is actually our listener's question when we, because we advertise our episodes before we even promote them uh, or even before we do the recordings. And uh, people wrote back to me on this one saying, hey, can you find out how to pitch? So that's my question. Boy, I don't think you're going to like my answer if, if I answer this one, because I, I it, honestly... It, it, does, it, does, it, does, it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. We're looking <laughs> yeah, for Yeah, I'm going to take, take a clue from your book and <laughs> just be honest here. I personally have some issues with that running to the back of the room thing anyway, yeah. just uh, just ethical issues of it, because it creates a lot of excitement and and anticipation and then perhaps disappointment after that. But I, I do think that... As I was saying earlier, with the nurturing capabilities within virtual events, you can really lean into your audience and build the community that that help people to want to come back naturally and want to participate and be a part of something. So thinking about it on a bigger scale of what, what are you creating that is really of value to your audience and, and why are they coming back? And how can you build in this campaign over a series of time in order to get people engaged? Mm, I like that a lot. Uh, in terms of one thing that, that reminds me of is, is the philosophy of give away the house and sell the backyard. So it's sort of this philosophy, again, of information is everywhere, right? So in order to compete these days, you have to shock people with the amount of value that you provide. Um, don't, don't hide your best stuff. So that even goes for your paid content. If you're in a paid workshop, you're delivering a paid seminar. Um, sometimes you feel you have to hide your best stuff and, and save it for later. But I, my philosophy is give away as much as you can. Wow people with value and information. And they're going to pay for the one-on-one time to help you implement all of that. Uh, so and it, it, it goes for your content as well, like your free content online. Yeah, and if you're not providing a service, then it's it is that perceived value of what you're offering and a bit of exclusivity. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a one-on-one service, but maybe there's an inner circle that somebody joins in order to get more focused personal attention. And that inner circle can lead into to workshops that help them to actually take whatever it is that, that you're helping them with to the next level. Okay. But then to come to a very direct answer to your, to your listener question, we have helped, um, this, this, with this exact situation with a, a top self-development program, one of the longest lasting programs and optimizing their, their pitch online in their, in their online workshops to go to a next level workshop. One thing that we use is a Zoom breakout room. So if you have questions during the pitch at any point during the session, you can self move yourself into this Zoom breakout room. There's an assistant there ready to, to answer any of your questions. We've also used... Um, the technique of, of anybody who registers for the next level program, we're going to have a special session for you after this session to celebrate and answer all your questions. So give them the preview that that time is coming for the people who do level up to make them feel good about their decision quickly and comfortable with that. And just remember that like we were talking about earlier, there's another layer to the authenticity that happens online rather than in person. And so People smell bullshit pretty quickly. 
So, so just make sure that what you're delivering is as authentic as you can make it without the sales pitch being too hard and heavy. Oh, okay. I, I see what you're saying here. And one thing I had never thought of is the idea that if somebody finds themselves ready to go the next level, rather than create the rush to the back of the room effect, you build it into the event design where at any time, let's say we're on Zoom, they can just say, okay, um, I can go speak with somebody who can answer my questions about this and enroll me. Uh, now, in the in-person environment, that's where you have somebody sitting at a table in the back or somebody out in the hallway or something you can just stand up and walk out to. We basically create that in the virtual world is what you're saying. That's right. So you use named breakout rooms where people can move themselves to the room at any point. Yeah, and you want them to to leave that event for the day and just think about, wow, that was a great experience. While those people were really amazing, I want to keep interacting with them because I see the benefit for myself. I mean, just like you would in person, but maybe take it to the next level where it just feels really warm and inviting to become a part of what it is that you're offering. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're pretty much at the top of the hour here and we could keep this conversation going forever. I kind of figured that this was going to be um, sort of a uh, sort of a brainstorming session here. And I really love this. And I trust that our listeners have gained some tidbits from it. So what I want to do is I want to invite everybody who's on here today, uh, whether you're listening to this on the day of publication or whether you're listening to this a year from now, uh, regardless of what happens with the political, economic, or social environment, wherever you are, uh, the idea of virtual events is something that to me is only going to keep growing, uh, especially when I go to uh, when I go to David Michelle's web, excuse me, Daniel Michelle's website, uh, which is at www.weandgoliath.com. And I see that they have an illustration on their webpage. It shows a bunch of people carrying a box that has a cat sitting on top of it. Um, seeing as I'm under the perpetual supervision of my feline overlords, I can certainly relate to that. So I do encourage everybody to uh, visit that website and discover about how you can get the support you need doing virtual and hybrid events, because hybrids are also a really big thing. Um, I know myself, uh, I'm going to be attending an event uh, that's here in Las Vegas in a few weeks that had that is a hybrid, and I'm going to be doing both parts of it. There's one day I'm going to be there in person, and I'm going to go there for two parts of the other day where there are specific events I want to be there for in person, but some of the rest of it I'm going to do from the comfort of my home office or home office so that I get those breaks. But anyway, check out that website and uh, contact Daniel and Michelle with any questions you have about this. Uh, they have a first-rate approach. They're doing great work here, and they can be a great resource to you. And with that, Daniel Moss and Michelle Garrison, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education, believe me. Thanks, Adam. We've really had enjoyed this interview, too. It's been fun. Yep. Thanks so much. Hope that was helpful, everybody. Feel free right. to reach out anytime. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.